At some point in our lives, we've all experienced this overwhelming feeling of not being able to go on, not move forward, either in our careers, in our relationships, in our personal lives, even as parents, where we just hit a roadblock. We are exhausted, we're depleted, and we have no idea what is causing this. Oftentimes, we get diagnosed with depression or anxiety. We get prescribed a vacation. But most of the time, that's not enough. And the truth is that if you have unhealed trauma, childhood trauma, it's very possible that that's led you to becoming and being hyper vigilant, which means hyper aware all the time. We are on all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We are on. We are the primary caregivers. We're the ones who run the show, run the house, take care of everything. We are the glue. And that takes its toll on us. Today, my conversation with Elizabeth Collins is all about trauma and burnout. She's a burnout recovery coach and integrative wellness specialist. She uses a combination of functional medicine, coaching, hypnosis, mindfulness, and Eastern medicine to help individuals recover from burnout and gain the tools necessary to live smoother, more fulfilling lives. What was so interesting about my conversation with Elizabeth and what I think makes the best wellness practitioners is she has lived it firsthand. She shares her story so candidly, so beautifully, and I am absolutely certain that you will find this very relatable. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy this episode. Welcome everyone to another sensational episode of Flip the Script. I am so grateful that you're here and I am joined by my very special guest, Elizabeth Collins, who is a burnout and recovery coach. We are going to dive right in to what burnout looks like. What are the effects of burnout? And we have a great expert to help us with that. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me, Emma. I really appreciate it. I'm so grateful that you're here. So let's you know, kind of go back before we, we get into, you know, giving the tips and nuggets and how burnout can be linked to trauma and all that. And where did this journey start for you? Burnout is a very individual experience for everybody. And there are a variety of factors that can go into it. And um, when I was working with my coach early on, um, she, you know, has people, um, she has a podcast as well. And she has people think about, you know, when do you feel like your burnout really started? And it makes you think about your own burnout story. And so as I was listening to more episodes of this, I was just like, where did my burnout start? And my first thought was, well, you were born in 1982 (laughs) and it started very shortly thereafter. So funny, funny, but yeah, it's funny, but not funny, but funny. Yeah. Um, funny in hindsight, my, um, my biological mother passed away when I was 13 months old. So I never really knew her. And, um, one of the various things that I'm trained in is hypnosis. And what I learned throughout that training is that from the ages of zero to around six years old, um, you're in what's called an alpha brainwave, which is the same type of brainwave in REM sleep. And it's very good for learning, for integrating, for processing. And so um, any interruption 
in that process, something that is traumatic, whether it's big T trauma like mine or little T trauma of being continually teased at school or just not feeling heard by, you know, your family members or something like that, kind of feeling dismissed that isn't overt abuse, um, that shapes your coping mechanisms and it shapes your personality and it shapes how you show up in the world. And so for me, having that loss at such an early age, I really struggled with the complexities of relationships. Um, if I didn't feel supported, not because other people weren't supporting me, but because of my own insecurities and things like that, um, it was very difficult for me to feel like I was worthy of love. So from a very, very young age, I integrated that I needed to be or do something in order to be worthy of love, as opposed to simply inherently being worthy of love because I have a human being walking on this planet. <laughs> Nobody told me that. Nobody instilled that in me, but that is what I received from the experience that I was having at that time. That's so important to underline and highlight because I feel like a lot of us suffer from that syndrome by default, especially as women this need to, you know, feel that we have to earn our worthiness. We have to earn our keep. We have to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, I think for many people starts to compound as they get older with the different types of feedback that they get. So for me, that started to show up as perfectionism. Mm -hmm. I was praised for the things that I was good at. So I was praised, you know, for being a good singer. As I got older, I was praised for getting good grades. I was praised for being smart. I was praised for being quiet. You know, all of these things that we kind of think of as a quote unquote good girl. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> nobody was saying, you know, sit down, shut up, girls should be quiet. But I was praised for those things. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't always quiet, but, um, but that perfectionism really took root into my identity. It created a, a huge piece of who I was. And so as I got older, you know, when I progressed through school, I was a straight A student. I was on a roll every semester, you name it. And for me, I wanted A's. And I didn't understand that if, you know, you got an A, then you got an A. If you got a B, you got a B. If you got a C, it was a C. If you got an F, you failed. For me, if I got a B, I failed. So all or nothing, the cognitive distortion. Yeah, absolutely. It was very ask, black or white. I want to ask a question just quickly because, you know, maybe mm -hmm. for our listeners, it's not clear when we talk about burnout, usually in society, we're referring to a professional burnout. But what yes. you're saying is making me think of just like a general life burnout, just being burnt out, just being exhausted, depleted in some way, shape or form. You can burn out doing any number of things. Stay at home parents burn out. And I'm sure if there are stay at home parents, you know, people, a lot of people ended up becoming stay at home parents and teachers during the pandemic. You ask any one of them if they're burnt out, they will probably say, hell yes. By the way, can I curse on here? I'm not going to like, okay. <laughs> I don't want to offend the sensibilities of any of your listeners. So, okay. Um, so yeah, you can burn out doing a lot of different things. It's simply the place that you're starting from. Mm. So and it doesn't have to be a professional burnout. Sorry. And right? in, in, in helping people understand that this is, there's no right or wrong. A burnout is a burnout because, you know, we live in a judgmental society, unfortunately. And it's like, well, you're at home with your kids. What could you possibly be burnt out? I work, you know, 50 hours a week and I do this and I commute and I, and then we get into that comparison game. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's so much worse with things like social media when all you're seeing are the best snapshots of people's lives. It's just like, oh my God, that person is, you know, crushing being a, a parent, you know, working parent and schooling their kids through a pandemic. And it's like, you don't, you don't know what look, what it looks like the other 23 hours and 59 minutes and 30 seconds of the day. (laughs) You don't see that there was just an episode of crying in the ugly crying in the washroom before that. So absolutely. Or, you know, you're going through school, you're getting your A's out. What point did you consciously realize that this was some type of coping mechanism and not necessarily you know, I don't want to say normal. I hate that word, mm-hmm. but a typical behavior of someone your age. Two years ago. <laughs> okay, then. Yeah. Two years ago. And I didn't realize it. My coach pointed it out to me. Okay. I had absolutely no idea. I thought this was the way it was done. What did, what did that look like for you? Were you just on all the time? Like, you know, RPMs to the max and you're just... How did a day in your life look like? This is a really great, great question because all of the experiences up until that point culminated, you know, that perfectionism was me having to get A's in school. And so I, my primary degree, uh, up until a few years ago was an acupuncture degree, which is a Mm -hmm. master's degree. So I did that and I started my acupuncture practice and I was plunking along kind of doing that the way I thought everybody did it, which was a huge part of the problem. Mm. and a decent chunk of my burnout story, which I can look at places all throughout my life that this is true, is I was not living in alignment with my own values. So I wasn't building a business the way that I should because it worked for me as an individual. I was building it the way everybody told me to because that's how I was told I would be successful. That is wholly unsustainable in every way, shape or form for whoever you are. Yeah. And you're not infusing your business with the essence of you. You're infusing it with the essence of what you think you should be. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And failing to achieve it because it's not my values, because it's not in alignment. And so that perfectionism comes in and just takes you out at the knees and saying, you're doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. You're doing all the right things, but you're doing them wrong and you're failing anyway. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge realization. It was massive. Yeah. I will be forever grateful to my coach for pointing that out because what happened at the time was I, um, had been contracted with an organization that sent me a ton of referrals about half of my practice at that point, my acupuncture practice was referrals from this organization. And they sort of almost overnight wholesale stopped referring to outside providers. So it wasn't something that was like a personal dig at me. It was just kind of a general company policy that they instituted, but it gutted my practice overnight. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm going to have to take my cats and move back into my parents' basement. And like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I contacted my coach because she had essentially done what I had done, which was moved to someplace where she doesn't know a single person other than maybe like one or two people, not in her field of expertise, which at the time was also acupuncture. She moved to Europe and started two very successful practices over the course of 12 years. And I mean, she, at the time that she moved back to the States a couple of years ago, she had given 30,000 treatments. She had a three month waiting list. Like she was crushing it and my practice was in trouble. So I reached out to her and I said, how did you do this? And she said, oh, I burnt out. (laughs) We're not going to do that. So (laughs) She burnt out twice in the process of doing that. And she said, I figured out how that, how and why that's not sustainable. 
So I'm going to give you the Colonel's 23 herbs and spices for how to create a business around your own life and craft your own life. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy. And it's not that you're never going to deal with stress. It's that we're going to give you tools to deal with it more efficiently and more effectively. Before you came to this realization and shout out to your coach, it sounds absolutely amazing. Were you able to ever sit still? Because I find that to be a very common trauma response where we just have this inability to really unplug, unwind. We have to be constantly doing something. Uh, so even on the weekends, we're creating these tasks and these chores and these obligations. Uh, was that, does that sound familiar to you? I still don't do that well. <laughs> I'm two years into burnout recovery and I still don't do that well. I am great at numbing, which is not unplugging. And so it's something that I have to be very conscientious of because I'm that way too. Yeah. Everyone around me just, you know, watch TV for hours in the evening and thinking, oh my God, they're wasting their life. This is, this is time. We're never going to get the time back. We're going to sleep when we're dead and all of these things. And it created Mm -hmm. unhealthy patterns. So what do you do when you catch yourself now being in that I really would like to be able to sit here and enjoy the moment, but I have to be doing. Breath work has been huge for me and I don't do a ton of it again, because I struggle with that. And this is one of the things when it comes to burnout recovery is like, I don't tell people to sit and breathe for five or 10 or 15 minutes. I don't tell them to meditate Mm -hmm. at all. Breathing for me is one minute. I have an Apple watch. This is not a sponsored post, but I have reminders to go off at multiple times throughout the day. I have it set for four breaths in one minute and I go through a progressive relaxation. I actually recorded a meditation that's now on insight timer of this process that I go through where I take a breath in. When I exhale, I release my muscles around my eyes. When I take another breath in, as I release, I release my jaw, my shoulders, my abdomen. Those are the four places that I've identified that people tend to hold stress. Shoulders are pretty common, but the muscles around the eyes, the jaw for some people, yes, for some people, no, and the abdomen those are areas where we carry stress and tension. So clenching. Yes. So I'm, I'm unconsciously clenching them and going through the process of consciously unclenching them. Mm. So things like that, that are much smaller bites and are more digestible for people tend to be better, especially at the beginning of burnout recovery and can become incredibly critical in moments where you do start to feel that stress and overwhelm because it's small, it's bite-sized, it's accessible. You can run in a bathroom and do it. You can, you know, sit and do that. If you're, I mean, I would say waiting for a flight, you know, like we don't go anywhere anymore, (laughs) but, (laughs) but these are the types of things that like, if you're at work and you, you work in, you know, a cube and you're around other people, you can take one minute and breathe. Nobody's going to be the wiser. No. And especially a lot of us are working from home now and there's no one supervising us, especially when you're an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And when you're a solopreneur and you're trying to run your business and you're, you know, sneaking up on what's going on, what's hot, what's trendy, it can be so easy to fall in that trap of overwhelm. What did it, what does it look like inside your mind for our listeners? Let's take, you know, take us through a walk of your thought process when you're starting to feel this bubbling of pressure that you need to be doing something, even when it's your day off. What's Mm -hmm. the first thought that comes to mind? What do I need in this moment right now? Mm. And I will admit that that, I'm sorry. You're able to do that now. That is still a struggle for me. 
Yeah. That is, again, that is something that I consciously do because it is not built into who I am. This is something that's probably going to be a continual practice for me. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a depressing thing. I think it's a reality because I've been doing this for two years, fighting 37 years of history. So Mm -hmm. the timeline isn't equitable. And I think that can be one of the really frustrating things through burnout recovery is like, we'll get some tools and we'll feel really good. And then we'll backslide. And then, you know, it's, it's in some ways, the way that people overcome addiction, you know, Mm -hmm. some people can do just a cold Turkey. I'm going to stop doing whatever it is that I'm addicted to. And I don't necessarily mean substance this, Mm -hmm. you know, these patterns are in some ways addictions. It feels good to be doing things a lot of times because that means that we don't have to focus on the monologue of just like, Hey, this probably isn't good for me. You know, (laughs) whatever it is that we're doing, you know, if I'm cleaning my kitchen and I have to do this and I've got this list of tasks, I don't have to stop and focus on how I feel. So, you know, that has been one of the biggest things is what do I need right now? And if Mm -hmm. I'm feeling very overwhelmed, if I've got to go here, I've got to go there, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. What needs to happen? Yeah. What is critical? What is, what is an emergency? Is anything an emergency? First of all, emergencies for me is, can you physically see a bone? Is it bleeding? Is it on fire? If the, if it does not apply to those things, probably not an emergency. And we scale from there and we triage from there. Do I need to get the groceries today? No. And and what does it feel like in your body? Because I had this conversation with myself this weekend in my kitchen where I was started feeling overwhelmed and I had two things to do. And, you know, I, in, in those moments, I choose to live 15 seconds at a time. And I'm like, okay, I'm okay right now. I'm okay right now. And that's the conversation that I had out loud with myself is no one is holding a gun to your head. No one is making you do this. No one is expecting you to do this. What's going on? What's going on? Why do you feel the need? Is that this sense that you're going to feel more accomplished? No one's watching. And that's have good. I have Google Nest cameras in my house now to keep an eye on my cats because I have geriatric chonky cats with like weird problems. They're not just like, oh, like they, you know, they have like, you know, seizures and stuff like that. So it's just like crap. So someone is watching actually now at this point. But um, what what that feels like in my body is a, a very interesting question to me because I, that's sort of the piece of my burnout recovery that I've started to work on most recently is the somatic experience of that. And so I'm getting into somatic experiencing. It's something that I would eventually like to do training for, to bring in as a part of the burnout recovery that I do. But it's very much something that I struggle with because again, if I can stay in my head, I don't feel what's going on in my body. So what I've noticed at this point is when that starts to creep up on me, it tends to be kind of anywhere from like my chest and my collarbone area to the base of my ribs. So mostly in that like upper torso area. And it feels like butterflies, but not like the fun kind when you're falling in love. Like the one that it feels like absolute sort of just this, this chaos, this high vibration and depending on the intensity of what's going on, that will alter the type of tool that I go to. So yesterday I really was not doing well. There's some very stressful stuff that's going on in my life right now. And what it looked like was sitting down. There's a technique called the emotional freedom technique. It's also called tapping. Um, I can put a link to that in, um, for you so that you can put it in the show notes for people. Mm-hmm. And I literally just sat down on my couch at one point to the exclusion of everything else that was going on. And I started going through my tapping routine. You tap on acupuncture points. And I just kept saying, I'm safe. 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 
at each point. And that is a technique that's used to calm your nervous system. It brings your parasympathetic nervous system online. And sometimes depending on what the sensation is, usually I'll have people say, let it go. Like if you're feeling tension or anxiety or whatever in the moment, I was not feeling safe. What I needed was to feel safe. So that's the tool that I accessed at that moment. And it got me calmed down within 60 seconds. Yeah. 90 yeah. seconds. Sometimes and I was able to, but when you're conscious of it and you're doing the healing work, you're able to say, no, this is spiraling. No, mm -hmm. I'm hitting the reset switch and mm -hmm. whatever that is breathing or your EFT, whatever it is that you're able to say, no, I don't need to spiral out of control. Let me just ground myself for a second. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing. It's very useful. And it's also, I think, very important for people to know that your set point of where that trigger is, is different for everybody. And it's based on your experiences and there's nothing wrong with you. If your set point is a little bit lower yeah. because mine is lower than other people in my life. They don't always necessarily understand that it can be really challenging for people to relate to that because the people may feel like, Oh, you're on, you know, kind of a hairpin trigger. And it's like, well, I have, you know, 25 years or 37 years or 45 years of this stuff. Like I'm not just this person who got here today and is this, you know, there's, you're a fully formed person based on the entire experience of your life. So it's very useful to have those tools to kind of level you out. It's also useful to understand where that set point is and think about what gets you there. I love that. So in your own words, what is a burnout? How would you describe it? It can, again, it's a very individual process for me. When I really kind of tucked into the idea It's almost the idea of living so far out of alignment with your own wants, needs, preferences, desires, and values mm. that you aren't actually living your own life. You're on autopilot. You're on autopilot. Mm. And that is unsustainable long-term. You cannot divorce yourself from your internal environment and expect to feel good about the way you move through the world. Mm, that's a big one. Yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of full of those and people don't always like them. They're like, shit, I have to think about this now. I have to feel into this. That's more, that's more it for me too, is like the not necessarily thinking about it, but the feeling into it, which can be very difficult in our society. People don't necessarily like to feel into themselves and it can be very uncomfortable for people around somebody who's trying to feel into themselves to hold space for that. I like that feel into themselves kind of sexy. Um, <laughs> we're gonna, we got to make, you know, talking about trauma sexy in some way <laughs> in your experience and what you've come across, how, how much or how often is burnout related back to some type of unexcavated unhealed trauma? Again, because we are all exposed to trauma, whether it's big T or little T, I think in most cases, it doesn't have to be that kind of catastrophic stuff of, you know, death, divorce, abuse. It can be just the day-to-day -day kind of grinding down of who you are as a person 
yeah, think of like this young professional couple who decides to have a family and, you know, she's been working and working on her career and all of a sudden, you know, they get pregnant and she's expecting twins and now she's at home with the two babies and she's expected to do all of these things. And I think about motherhood a lot because there is no training manual. You know, yeah, it's so you build that bridge as you cross it. Like <laughs> there's just no way around it. It's like this is what we're supposed to do. Oh, all of these other millions of women have done it. So easy breezy, beautiful cover girl. Like here we go. And then you're a mom and you're like, who am I? I think parenting is probably one of the, if not the most difficult, most vicious, most unforgiving, most rewarding, most beautiful, and most meaningful things that we will do. And I fully say that as not a parent yet. I hope to be someday if I'm given the opportunity or have the opportunity. That's but, an exception. Yeah. Okay. The, I mean, the idea that there is any easy way around this, because again, when we think about this, I'm very much a fan these days of like the 50,000 foot view. When you pull back, like, I think the challenge with that, with parenting specifically is you are trying to shape wholehearted adults when you're not, when you whole. have not necessarily been given the tools to be a wholehearted adult. And then you're bringing, and I had such an interesting conversation. That's such a good point. I want to highlight. I had such an interesting conversation with someone who said, you know, you're coming into this relationship and we normally attract a partner, right? Who helps us heal and uncover the, the parts of us that need to be uncovered and healed, right? but then they have all of their own baggage. So we go into this relationship, putting the expectation that this person will make us feel safe and fill in all of the voids that are in our lives and vice versa. And then we're creating another life. And it's a fucking shit show. It's a fucking shit show. <laughs> Thank you for saying show. that. Yes, it is. And one of the exercises that I love that my coach gave me, and it's a, I think, I think it's still on her website. And, um, it's called the knot, basically. If you imagine that there's a net over the whole world, at each point in a net, there is a knot. There's mm -hmm. a junction. It creates structure. Hold up your own knot. Like it's not your job to go. And I struggle with this massively. I struggle with it in my relationship. I currently owe my partner an apology for it. Like <laughs> because that's yeah. because that's he and I owe each other apologies. It's just the nature of being in a relationship. You, as long as you are with a person, if you are not just an aesthetic sitting under a tree trying to find enlightenment, you owe someone an apology <laughs> because we are imperfect beings. Mm -hmm. Um it's not constant. You don't constantly owe someone an apology. But that's the nature of interaction and communication. And so the exercise with the knot is don't go into somebody else's garden and tend it. If they're growing a flower garden and you have a vegetable garden and you go in and you start planting peas and tomatoes, they're going to get pissed. That's not your job. It's not your job to like fix their stuff. It's not their job to fix yours. It is your job to address your own stuff. And I do believe that it is the job of both partners to have very open communication, which is very hard because it requires a deep amount of vulnerability that a lot of us don't love, especially those of us in burnout who are just trying to be perfectionists or hold up the world or feel like everything is our job. Mm. I feel like that could be a whole series in itself right there. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, so it's what tough. It, it's yeah. Yeah. And we need to be taught this as young children between the, the ages of zero and six about vulnerability and communication. We really do. We really do. 
I love Brene Brown. I've been reading her, I've been marathoning her books. And I just read her most recent one, which is the Atlas of the Heart. And I think like everybody should have it on their bedside table because it's a compendium of human emotion. Yeah. And being taught basic emotional competence. And the understanding that it's okay to sink into that. I think it's so common for us to, you know, because of the way our parents were and their parents were, you know, my, my grandmother on one side of the family, well, my grandparents in general, they were born in about, she was born about 10 years before the great depression. Mm. Yeah. Feelings were not at the forefront of what was happening at that time. She didn't have the tools. There was other shit going on like that's. And so I loved her. She loved us immensely, but she is not what I would call a soft or gentle woman. She had a bit of a sledgehammer approach. You know, I carry that as well. I have done a lot of therapy and self-work and things like that to try and manage that. And there has been a real cognitive dissonance around not softening myself too much and being able to express what I want, need, desire, and prefer in a way that is clear, concise, and kind. Oh, I like that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's about creating boundaries. Burnout recovery is all about creating boundaries because if you don't have boundaries, internal and external, you cannot be empathetic. You cannot be compassionate. You're just going to give and give and give or not give at all. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no capacity there to know what your limits are. And so finding those boundaries, like for me in my work, I'm a solopreneur as well. I no longer take my work calls or work emails off hours. Mornings, evenings, weekends. That's it. I didn't do that initially because I was afraid if I didn't get back to somebody the same day, I would lose a patient or I would lose a client. It was exhausting. I was putting more out of myself in the world than I was giving back to myself. So that's an internal boundary journey. And I've just started exploring that, you know, within the last six months, I read Tim Ferriss's four hour work week. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, the feelings coming up when I was listening to him say like, you only check your emails twice a day. I got pissed reading that book. I actually had to put that book down. I got mad at him. I was like, and and like, I think he's a brilliant guy and I think it's a brilliant book. Like he's got some really amazing points, but he was pushing up against a lot of internal crap that I was just like, I, okay, I know this is here and I'm not ready to face it with this kind of intensity because he hits all of the points. And I was just like, I need to read like one chapter every two months. Yeah. And he's like, and that's how it is. And there's a template on what to leave on your voicemail. And I was like, but the people listen, if I was listening to that voicemail, I'd be like, F you, Emma, I'm going to, you know, and that's the other thing next door. And then I'm like, why am I so insecure? Why do I think they're going to go next door? If I'm part of the thing in my space. Right. Part of the thing that I didn't love about that is that it does not leave room for your own values. It says, this is the template and this is how you do it. Part of the reason that I didn't like it is there's a decent chunk of those templates that don't work for my values. Exactly. So we'll do a values exercise with almost all of my clients. I give them this list of like 80 or a hundred things. You know, what do you value? Curiosity, integrity, family, um, adventure, spontaneity, security. Like it's all over the board. Pick a bunch of them, put them into categories. If you value happiness, joy, love, anything that sort of looks similar, you'll put them into categories. And then out of those categories, you will pick one word out of each category. I think they're up to five. And then you'll put them in a list. You'll rank them of how important they are. And then you'll give them an action statement. 
So one of my values is embrace curiosity. Mm, I love that. That's really important to me because I'm a naturally reactive person. It's true. My, my tolerance is lower. So (laughs) I can be a reactive person. My tolerance is much higher now that I've worked on it, but that's still something that I need to keep be mindful of. So, you know, when somebody no shows for an appointment, see, that's the natural, that's the natural tendency. That's the natural tendency. And I'm being curious where it was like, you know, yeah. Being curious about it for me is like, okay, they no showed. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's like they no showed. So now when I I'll wait five minutes, if they're not here and then I'll say, are you okay? Mm -hmm. Did something happen? You know? So yeah. Oh yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Because the first reaction, but being able, being able to know what that value is and being able to see that, like I, I make my list and then I put them as a screensaver on my phone. So every time I open my phone, I look at my values. And so I saw embrace curiosity and I was like, all right, get curious. Yeah. Get curious, lean into that and see how they're doing. I feel like maybe you and I should call Tim Ferriss and see how we could work with him for our types of personalities and be like the four hour work week for those who are in burnout recovery and healing from trauma, because in a way the book is to prevent burnout, but you have to get to a point of healing and conviction. Maybe he'd be I think, I think he might be, we should do it. Let's do it. We'll make a partnership out of it. It'd be great. We'll, we'll bring him in on the podcast. We'll have a a three-way conversation about it, but that you actually bring up a really interesting point because tools that are useful for burnout prevention are not useful for burnout recovery. No. So that's, that's what I was talking about when I was saying, like, I don't have people meditate burnt out brains literally shrink. And when you hear that, don't panic because they can grow back. But the connection between the left and right hemispheres of the brain, the thinking, you know, and the emotional that actually starts to disconnect. It starts to break down. And so, sorry, it's on overload. It's on overload. Yeah. It can't do anything. And so those connections start to break down. So you don't literally have the brain power to sit and meditate for 15 minutes. So if people do want to start a meditation practice, I often say, make sure it's a guided, probably spoken word, test the waters on that and see how you feel with it. And don't start with 15 minutes because you're not going to be listening to the person in the headphones. The person in the headphones is going to be talking and you're going, did I start the dishwasher? Like that's not useful for you. I'll have to share a meditation with you. But at one point when I was first starting, one of the first things that was said was you're probably rolling your eyes at this point. And I was like in the middle of rolling my eyes going like, quiet. Those are the ones that I love. I love those because I'm like, Ooh, you get me. Yeah. <laughs> and, I was laughing and then I eased into it. And that's, that's a great thing because you know what I'm going through. You've been through it. Mm-hmm. So what are your parting nuggets of wisdom for anyone who's listening to us? And they're saying, Ooh, yeah, I've been a doer. I've been in action. How do we identify and then you know, get curious about the healing process and begin to bridge the gap between what my friend Deb says, you know, we're, we're human beings, not human doings. How do we bridge that gap and create that energetic alignment with the essence of who we're truly meant to be and what's in alignment with us? Reach out for help is the biggest one. 
which I know is probably making y'all uncomfortable right now because a lot of people who are prone to burnout are, I have to do it myself. I need to do it myself. I I want to do it myself. Yeah. You know, because we're the people that seem to have all of our shit together. And now we have to call bullshit on ourselves and say, well, the truth is I'm busting at the seams. Yeah. And that's okay. And it can feel like a failure. And the reason that I say don't do this alone is because when you have a community of people who understand what you're going through, Mm. you can let go into that. You can sink into that because it's going to feel shitty. It's going to feel like crap. Like there's burnout recovery. Isn't a pretty process. It's not a comfortable process. It's an incredibly useful process. Yeah. Because we have to assume the responsibility for our behaviors and patterns as well. Right. You think of burnout, you think of being overworked. So that's the boss's fault or that's this person's fault, this person's fault. It's everything and everyone around me. But then when you're breaking it down chunk by chunk and you realize that you've been enabling a lot of the behavior. Well, see, that's the thing. Burnout is not your fault. Recovering from it is your responsibility. Ooh, that's good. Burnout is not your fault. If you are in burnout right now, you have to understand, you don't have to understand, you can tell me to fuck off, but you, (laughs) if you want to recover, if you're identifying it, you have to understand that this did not come from you. This is not from within you. This is something that society not just enables, but supports and advocates, whether that is socially, um, in a work environment, you know, emotionally, any, anything like that. This Mm -hmm. is something that is fostered by a deeply ill community. We as a community are ill. So burnout is not your fault. If you're going to recover from it, there is personal responsibility that goes into that action. But Mm -hmm. doing that with community is so much better than doing that alone. So if you don't know where to start, go on Instagram and search hashtag end burnout culture, hashtag burnout recovery. Those are really good places to start because they will start funneling you to communities that are designed to help with this. Look for books. Um, Emily and Amelia Nagoski wrote a burnout. I think the title of the book itself is just called Burnout. My coach, Kate Donovan, wrote a book called The Bounce Back Ability Factor, which is mm-hmm. chock-a-block full of tools that you can use when you don't have the agency necessarily to work with a coach or a therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are feeling burnt out, we didn't really get into this a ton, but um, I do functional medicine. And I also, part of my coaching process is addressing the biological underpinnings. So- mm-hmm. Do you have vitamin or mineral deficiencies? Do you have a gut imbalance? Do you have leaky gut that's not allowing nutrients to get to your brain and your body? If you are feeling these types of things, one of the first things that I'll tell people is go see your primary care physician and say, I'm fatigued. I have brain fog. I can't focus. I don't feel like I'm sleeping well. I'm not digesting my food. Can we run a comprehensive panel? Can we do you know, a comprehensive blood analysis, a CBC, can we do vitamins and minerals? Can we test for allergies? You know, anything like that, that starts to get you feeling a little bit better. Yeah. I had a scorching. Absolutely not. I mean, when I started burnout recovery, I had a, it turns out a scorching vitamin D deficiency. I live in the Northeast 
um, in Rhode Island. And I'm what you would call indoorsy. I don't hike. I don't go outside. Like it's, you know, I like it outside, but I'm much more of a couch and a book with a cat kind of girl. It's yeah, no, I mean, I'm literally like, you can practically see through my skin right now. So I had a vitamin D deficiency that was 20 points lower than the bottom of the range. And if you're at the bottom of the range, but it's normal, that doesn't necessarily mean you have enough of any of these nutrients to be optimal. So I took, and I'm not advocating everyone go out and take vitamin D. If you have fatigue, you do need to do this under the discretion of, or under the direction of a doctor or a functional yeah. medicine practitioner, somebody who's trained to do that. Um, you shouldn't just throw supplements at yourself, but understanding what's going on with your body and how that can also affect your brain is a huge component to burnout recovery. So there are a lot of different places that you can start. And there are a lot of people who are starting to come to the forefront who want to help you with this. Yeah. And who are providing resources to get you started. So it's a very multifaceted issue. Oh yeah. No, it's an onion. Shoot. Peel, peel onion. that yeah, shit back. Sure. Like it's just, you know, you pull one off and you're going to find something else. There's always something to uncover. <laughs> so, you know, before we leave, give us a couple nuggets from your perspective now, as you're in recovery and you're almost on the other side, I want to say, how does it feel? Do you feel lighter as a human being? What does your life look like now? It's funny because my, the types of stressors that I have are the same. Mm. Sometimes the volume is even higher, but my ability to handle them and the way that I look at them is very different. And so last month I had, you know, my normal day-to-day stress from work, and I love my work, don't get me wrong, but day-to-day life is just stressful. You know, we're, we're doing all of this in a pandemic. You have stress under the best of circumstances and these are not the best of circumstances. And then I had, I think three instances like boom, 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 Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of just big stressor, big stressor, big stressor. And my body gave out, like I had a back spasm from my hips to the middle of the back of my skull. And I was just like, I'm canceling Friday. I'm handling the most critical of these three. At this point, the minute, which was a work issue, it was with insurance billing, which is a a circle of hell that Dante forgot. Um, And as soon as that was done at like 1 PM on Friday, I went to my acupuncturist Mm. on Saturday. I did nothing. I organized my kitchen. I went to the container store. The container store soothes me. It's like my happy place. It's like, I, I pray to the container store. I don't have a church. I have the container store. I just, I created order in a way that did not stress my body, that did not stress my brain, that like kind of made me feel good. And then the minute that my body was like, you need to sit down, bitch, bitch sat down and I did nothing for the rest of the day. And then that, that, and then that Sunday, I went to a colleague of mine who does the same type of um, comprehensive Chinese medicine body work that I do. He worked on me for three hours. That's how clogged up my body was. And after that, that was on a Sunday. I actually was able to go back to work on Monday and just be like, I'm okay. And Tuesday, I think my business debit card got compromised, which normally would have spun me off into a dimension of pissed that I didn't even know existed. And I was fine. I called the, the company. I had a really nice conversation <laughs> with the client. But you? I was just, I, yeah, I was just like, hey, my card oh, was compromised. Really? They're like, we're so sorry. We'll take care of that for you. I was like, thanks, boo. Yeah. Normally that would have oh, completely really unwound me if I yeah. hadn't taken the time 
to address my nervous system and my body and everything that was so out of whack. And so taking a day off of work, focusing wholly on self-care, which I have the benefit of doing because I live by myself, my partner and I don't live together. I don't have kids. I had resources and options that not everybody has for that moment, but I showed up for myself in a way that I never would have in the past because I had a week vacation the week after new year's off. And normally I would have just said, just get through the next two weeks. My burnout story in six words was just keep going. It will change. Mm. No, it won't. No, it absolutely swimming up river. Oh God. Yes. Just like swimming up river and you say, it's okay. I'm building muscle and Mm -hmm. eventually I'm going to get there. This is, this is the fastest way there. When you could just kind of flip around, go downstream. You are are going to die from lactic acid overdose. If you try and do that, you're going to come out of there Hulk. Just entirely. Um, But that's how I showed up for myself. And I never would have done that two years ago. Mm. So that's how I know that I'm really not fully on the other side of burnout recovery, because again, I'm, I'm fighting 39 years of patterns, but I am at a place where I am in control of my life. My life is not controlling me. Yeah. I love that. That's important. That's a great nugget. Thank you so much for being here and shedding a bit of light. I feel like this topic needs to be, you know, discussed again and again, and it's so multifaceted. I'm grateful for your you know, sharing your story with me and our listeners and and shedding some light on this very important topic that we don't talk about enough. We really don't. And so I am immensely grateful from the bottom of my heart for individuals like you, Emma, who are willing to hold space for it and have these types of conversations to get the word out about it. I love it. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Um, Your contact information details will all be in the show notes. And so if you are curious about Elizabeth and you want to go snoop on her and check her out, I encourage you to do so. All of the details are in the show notes. Yes, come be a creeper. I love meeting people. (laughs) Stop me. (laughs) Have a great day. Thanks. You too, Emma.